sometimes when people are in chronic stress they stress becomes a default mode so it actually hides the fact that you are in stress and that's very common like people don't know that they are in stress Welcome to the Simlund podcast. My name is Simlund. Today we talk with Inka Immonen. Inka is a meditation and yoga teacher from Finland. She has a master's degree in neuroscience and works as a science writer at the Biohacker Center. This episode is brought to you by BioOptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. Almost every person is deficient in magnesium because it's being depleted by stress. And on top of that, our foods are also much lower in magnesium because of soil depletion. BioOptimizer's has an amazing full-spectrum magnesium supplement called Magnesium Breakthrough. It includes seven of the most important magnesium types. Check out Magnesium Breakthrough at magbreakthrough.com forward slash seam and use the code seam10 for a 10% discount. Tell us about like your background. Uh, like, how did you get involved with like biohacking and uh, like psychology? Yeah, sure. Um, so my route to psychology and biohacking has been uh, quite personal and become, uh, or it was through a personal um, will or want to optimize my own health. As like, I guess that's the story of many people for me it was due to migraines so i was born with uh, with a chronic migraine condition that was biological that was inherited a genetic one and ever since i was a child i was trying on different medications i went to the neurologists all the time and it was struggle with help when i was a child I spent most of my days in in pain, so it w- it was a chronic pain, mm, and from that, I sort of got interested in health tracking. It was also asked for me to do from my neurologists, so I was taking a course of medication. I was keeping migraine diaries, and then from those diaries, we were seeing if it helped, if it didn't help. And this went on and on with different medications. Since I was 16, I've tried, um, I did try about seven different prophylaxis and none of them really worked. Uh, I tried about the same amount of um, pain medicine for the, for the, when the migraine was online and they didn't help either. Well, it was, a little bit of relief, but nothing really cured the underlying condition of migraine. So when I was about 16, 17, I was actually in high amounts of stress, like many pain patients are. Um, stress is a big thing that is like, it's one of the biggest symptoms of having chronic pain or consequences that the nervous system is all the time alert. You are afraid of the pain. You think that what if the pain comes, how can I even manage it? And when the pain is online, it's hard to calm down the nervous system. So um, for these reasons, I developed an anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and also a panic disorder. I became afraid of my own body, so to speak. Mm. And Around that age, I was also very sick of trying another course of medication because many medications 
they made me feel quite bad. bad. Um, I had very serious side effects for the medication. So I just, I wasn't open to trying anything new anymore um, because I was also afraid of the medicine. So around that age, um, I decided that I need to consider other options. Like if I want to manage this pain or pretty much this suffering, I need to learn other ways. So I started to look into lifestyle things. I started to look into different diets, um, and different re stress reduction techniques, and also psychological interventions. And at that age, I started, I, was, I think I was 17, I started um, psychotherapy that was targeted to the pain. Uh, so it was actually music therapy for the pain because I was, I'm very fond with music. So I really like playing, playing piano and everything. So we decided to go with the music therapy option. And uh, then I tried a couple of different ones um, as well, um, but mainly music therapy. And I started meditation. And from that, I realized through the experiences with these psychological interventions instead of medical ones, I realized that the human mind has a tremendous potential to heal itself or to combat these automatic stress and pain responses. And I wanted to learn more about working with the mind. So I went to study psychology and then um, neuropsychology to combine the neurological aspect with the with the psychological aspect or the biology and the and the psychology together mm -hmm. so this is um this is the story how mm -hmm. i ended up doing all of these things right. that i'm doing now yeah so you had like a you know incentive to uh take care of your health or like just get better and uh, that's kind of led you down this rabbit hole of uh trying to optimize your health yeah, exactly. I think um, in in a way, no one who is feeling pain wants to just stay that way. <laughs> so there is um, an innate drive to try to get rid of the pain. And mm. this led me to find quite a lot of biohacks that weren't necessarily targeting the pain itself, but worked for many other things related to the pain, like sleep, stress management, uh, dietary interventions, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, like pain, pain, like avoiding pain is one of the biggest like motivators for, uh, uh, you know, humans, but any other animal as well. <laughs> so it's a uh, great interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about um, what did you do uh, to like alleviate your uh, headaches and migraines? Okay, um, so um, you mean when I was younger? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what no? were some of the things that you tried, and what was the thing that was like successful? Mm -hmm. So I think it's actually pain management. It's actually a combination of a lot of things. Um, stress is not caused by one thing, um, and so only targeting one thing, like diet or exercise does not really help holistically for the stress and pain is a similar thing what is what pain uh, constitutes 
or what is related to pain is is your sleeping patterns um what is your um how much toxins do you get from your diet for example how do you how well you are able to calm down your nervous system and by the way now that i'm uh, referring to pain i'm referring to migraine pain so i don't have experience um or expertise of other types of pain disorders and there are many um but i'm when i'm talking about pain i'm talking about migraines and headaches right. and all the pain related to that one um so what i tried i think the first interventions were acupuncture and that was actually very effective but it was really hard to, where i'm from we didn't really have actually um acupuncture acupuncturists is Therapist. that the word maybe <laughs> yeah yeah exactly therapist who did that and so i wasn't able to continue that um then i tried aromatherapy which was um not that effective but i'm not sure if i was able i was using the right uh, it was basically essential oil therapy at the time uh, i tried dietary interventions and from those ones like actually within the past 10 years i think i've tried every single diet out there <laughs> um from raw food diet to paleo and keto and everything and i think low carb high fat diets has been one of the most effective ones um so just reducing sugar uh, also reducing stimulants and focusing on like pure foods organic foods um, intermediate fasting has been very effective for me, but it's also something that there are mixed, you know, experiences, I think, with that one, because also if hunger increases stress, that can be a trigger for the migraine. So mm. it's not good yeah. for everyone. Um, so those things were very effective, but then the most effective thing, the psychological thing, was meditation and that i started trying when i was around around 17 18 um, i was actually doing gymnastics and i i realized that's too demanding for my body and my mind to keep up the gymnastics practice so i went into yoga uh, instead and i really liked yoga and then it's sort of like when you think about yoga, you start thinking about meditation. And I started trying meditation for two reasons, the yoga thing, and then the fact that I was really interested in psychological interventions for the pain. So when I started meditating, it, it was not easy. It was not like one meditation session and, oh, wow, this is so effective. Um, I had to do a lot of training uh, a lot of, um, I, I, I don't know why, but I had some sort of fate in the meditation um, so that if I do it for a long term, it will help me. And when I just continued the practice, I was able to find these different styles of meditation because it's an umbrella term of different styles in the same way that sports are an umbrella term for different types of exercise. So I found different types of meditations that I, that I was able 
to use both when the migraine is not online and when it is online in order to just manage my emotions and that link or identification with the pain because that's one of the things that make pain so um so hard that you start identifying yourself with the pain so when I was able to work that body-mind con connection, self-compassion, sort of present moment acceptance, pain acceptance, it all became, became so much easier and it was easier to manage the nervous system, to even relax while the pain was online. And that's something that I was not able to experience through my childhood at any point. I didn't know how to do it, what to do with it, because the way was that pain is treated many times is that you have a pain, take a pill. If it helps, good. If it doesn't, then I don't know, take another pill. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's uh, quite interesting that uh, you can really reframe this, uh, you know, whether that be even like physical pain, uh, you can kind of reframe it and then it has like a different effect on your uh, physiology and your psychology as well so yeah you know it's, it's a lot you know because it's a lot of like with both to do with both the psychology as well as the physiology so it's yeah quite yeah and definitely both things yeah totally and both things happen like they are not separate from each other our bodies and mind are connected and there is a reciprocal relationship between what you're feeling and what your body is going through and you change either or and the other one will start accommodating to that one so i don't i don't know which one happened first um but I think the measuring would be the only only thing um, if I would be able to go back and measure somehow my brain state and my nervous system state and my emotions. But anyway, it worked. And I'm very happy to like um, sort of promote people, <laughs> promote meditation to people who are suffering from some kind of pain and haven't found a medication for it or a biohack that works to taking away that pain yeah uh, how like how would you know meditation like what what is maybe part of the mechanism or what is the way uh, meditation helps with uh, pain yeah well it's a complex thing uh, i think but um there are a couple of key findings in meditation that sets light on how meditation possibly reduces pain sensations. Um, one interesting thing is that meditation does not necessarily reduce the nervous system, like the pain signaling, uh, but it reduces the emotional stress related to it. And these, these are all linked to, these findings are linked to brain measuring and the measurement of the sort of pain pathways in the brain and the self-processing areas in the brain. So it's almost like some sort of forms of meditation like mindfulness meditation can make you separate from the suffering part so that you're seeing the pain as a signal instead of something that you need to respond to. Uh, it's not a threat. It's not 
something that you need to get rid of. It's a signal such as traffic in the street outside of the yeah. apartment is just a signal. Mm. So um, in bio, like, let's say mindfulness meditation, because there are different types of med meditations. So mindfulness meditation is something that uh, Dr. Gabbard-Zinn developed uh, and took part of the stress reduction uh, program that's used in the hospitals and in clinics. And there are so quite a lot of research on that form of meditation. In mindfulness meditation, the practice is to acknowledge the signals that are affecting your nervous system. It sounds around you. Um, it can be bodily sensations, so your interception. It can be your thoughts. It can be the temperature on your skin or the brush of clothing on your skin that you're just paying attention to and observing of what sort of a signal is this? N not trying to identify it, not trying to say if it's good or bad. You're just trying to see the raw sensory input of the signal. So let's say it's a noise of a car so you're like okay well that was a sound of low pitch and quite loud then there is the bird sound somewhere in the background you're like, okay that's the sound of high pitch and quite um low in intensity and okay it's a temporary sound or it's an ongoing sound and you're not like when you do this sort of mental practice it's almost like automatically you start to dissociate the meaning of the signal from the signal. So you dissociate your memory yeah. from it uh, to an extent that it's possible. And then when you have done that, um, you go into different areas of sensory input, like, you know, as I said, the temperature. And again, you're just feeling it like, how does it feel? The temperature in my knee compared to the temperature in my elbow or my forehead. And then this reaction makes those, when you start focusing on your interception, so you can also start acknowledging the pain. And you're like, okay, so what I have done is, for example, I'm thinking, okay, there is a pulse in my temples. And I just feel the pulse. I'm like, okay, it sort of like feels like somebody is like maybe pressing it. It feels like there is a little bit of more blood flow in my head than in my arm. <laughs> and in that way, the pain becomes less intimidating. Mm. And that regulates the areas in the brain that's associated with first uh, self-awareness. So insula and also emotional reactivity, so amygdala, um, and emotional regulation in the prefrontal cortex in general. So it's almost like your frontal lobe tells your amygdala that, hey, there's nothing to be afraid of this signal. Like it, it can be there. It doesn't harm you. It, it's not like killing you. It's okay. Just like, yeah. just let yeah. it be. Yeah. And when I've done that, um, I've tried to 
bring some element of compassion because pain can also be um, you almost feel ashamed that you're again having this pain like that you were not able to control it you know it feels like uh, it's yeah it's uncontrollable so then it's like okay despite this pain um, may I feel like good I hope I'm I'm happy I'm sending myself good wishes and so this is some form of compassion meditation that I've tried or that I've liked to combine with uh, mindfulness meditation and then uh, what I've done myself is um, just take this compassion meditation part of the process for myself and for other people um, studies show that social support predicts health and recovery from from disease a lot and in some cases more than exercise or or smoking or diet or whatever so just increasing this sense of social support social connection um, it relaxes the nervous system instantly increases like serotonin all the happy hormones serotonin oxytocin activates the parasympathetic nervous system the vagus nerve and makes you more grounded right so i think this this like combination of meditations they offer relief from not only pain but stress in general through many very efficient biological pathways um a biological and psychological pathways mm. yeah like i, I agree uh, the uh, meditation can kind of teach you how to yeah, distance yourself from these sensory experiences so you don't uh, uh, you don't begin to associate the things that happen to you with you and you kind of realize that uh, it's only like a matter of your own perception so you can like a, a good analogy would be to think of like a you know, you have a, like a projector that is a projecting this film on, onto like a wall. Uh, and let's say the projector itself is uh, some sort of a situation, something that is causing an event. And uh, the projection that is uh, being casted onto the wall is the, like the sensory experience, like, uh, you know, colds or uh, pain uh, or anger or something. But you are not the actual projection, you are the wall. So to say you're the one that is perceiving the projection and uh, there with meditation you can see that you are the wall and you, you don't necessarily have to associate associate yourself with the event nor the projection or the uh, sensory experience and uh, with that you can yeah just uh, like lift i don't know it does give you some sort of a relief that you again like you don't yeah, feel that you are uh, that is like it's it almost uh, makes you feel that it's uh, avoidable or that it, it, it isn't inevitable so you can kind of control it to a certain extent yeah, I love that comparison, by the way. That's a very good metaphor. Uh, another one that I really like is um, Bema Chodron, a, a Buddhist monk, says that I am the sky, everything else is the weather. So sort of the blue sky behind the clouds, behind the rain, behind the storm, um, that's always there. It doesn't change. And what happens in the sky 
the rain comes and goes, those are emotions or pain or whatever sensory signals, they just come and go, but they will always pass. The blue sky doesn't change. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's hidden. Sometimes you feel like um, uh, it's out there, but it's like there is something like very permanent that's, that's more deeply you that's not connected to yeah. your emotional responses or even necessarily memories. Yeah. Oh, by the way, would you excuse me for a moment? There is so much light coming sure. out of the window. <laughs> no like, problem. Yeah. Oh. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> there is, um, one thing about migraines is that um, it's often linked with photophobia, which is light sensitivity. Mm. So um, yeah, that was the issue with the light with me as well. I'm having photophobia. So um, okay. light optimization is important. <laughs> right. So you don't want to go, uh, you want to get too much uh, sunlight or daylight. Sunlight is fine. Uh, yeah, it's fine. But the exposure, like, if it's like, for example, now that I'm mm, like, I had a little bit of headache in the morning. So my nervous system is more sensitive to light and it can, it can quite rapidly uh, trigger a migraine. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, let's carry on with like, what is the difference between like meditation and mindfulness? Uh, they mm -hmm. are pretty, you know, used interchangeably, but there's a, you know, difference between them. Yeah, sure. Um, so meditation is like an umbrella term for different types of mental practices. Meditation, it's almost like mindfulness is a state and meditation is something that describes all the different kinds of practices that you can try. There is focused attention meditation, which is more about focusing on your breathing or focusing on one specific signal in general, which is more linked to the state of deep focus and flow. So like prefrontal activation, task positive network activation instead of relaxation, though they are also linked in a way. Uh, then there is mindfulness meditation, which trains the state of mindfulness, which reaches talked about then there is uh, loving kindness meditation uh, which we briefly touched as well so it's the compassion meditation um, or practicing social uh, wishes of goodwill and kindness mm, and there can be transcendental meditation vipassana meditation so that's the that's the difference between meditation and mindfulness mm -hmm. yeah the way I like to look at it is almost like um, meditation is like the tool or the technique that you use to reach a state of mindfulness. And uh, the mindfulness is like, you know, you're aware in the present moment and you're like observing what is happening. You're observing the emotions and uh, your body without like real judgment, uh, without like trying to control things. You're just uh, being there and, you know, being the wall <laughs> or uh, observing what is happening. And the meditation is just like a technique and a tool for going into that state uh, with different techniques. Like, you know, in transcendental meditation, it's the mantra where you're focusing on the mantra. 
and you're repeating it uh, until you enter a state of, uh, or you enter this meditative state. And uh, in other meditations, it's uh, something else. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So mindfulness meditation is um, a form of meditation to get into mindful state and meditation is the, the tool. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but, but which one, um, which, are there like any different effects on them or they all have a similar effect? Well, they are all studied separately. I mean, they are studied very interchangeably and very separately. So it's not completely clear of what are their specific differences, what are their specific uh, similarities, but there are some, some findings on how they are different, but it's still all, all very um, hard to like, it's not black and white, but for example, uh, focused attention meditation in which you, well, the most common is to focus on your breathing. Uh, what that does is that actually reduces an activation of so-called default mode network in the brain, which is a network that's also called maybe task negative network. It's a network that it's activated most of the time in our brain when we are not completely immersed on something. So that's also the network that is linked to rumination or which means mind wandering with negative thoughts. Um, it's linked to creativity. So mind wandering with positive thoughts and new exciting ideas. Um, it's linked to history or remembering the past and thinking about the future. So that's the default mode network. And when we focus on our breathing, task positive network activates. It activates in any practice or any activity in which we are focusing very hard on something. What's good in focus attention meditation and why it has been so effective probably in reducing stress and anxiety is because when we are mind wandering, if we are stressed, mind, the content of mind wandering is often negative. So it's about worrying about job, about money, about what to cook for dinner when the fridge is empty. <laughs> um, and when we get out of that zone of mind wandering to stuff that we don't want to think about, and we get into just focusing on the something all that's going on at the moment and just deeply focusing on that one, the stress is relieved. But for some studies, in some studies, and for some people, this actually activates the nervous system because it's also um, puts you in a mode where you really focus on something. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the main effect, I would say, in this meditation. It also... Um, this meditation sort of because the, the task or what you practice, it's bringing the mind back all the time to the breathing. When the mind wanders, your brain sort of error detection areas are like, oops, it went somewhere and it's not supposed to go anywhere. So bring it back. And then your cognitive effort brings 
the mind back. So it also trains those areas that are linked to inhibit inhibiting signals that, that are not relevant for the task and self-awareness of those wandering thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, mindfulness is more linked to the, um, the relaxation effect of the nervous system because when you become acceptive for the present moment and all the signals that are going around you, your body naturally releases the stress. You're not that reactive all the time to things. And that, for example, can lower the amygdala activity. And amygdala is the area of salient signaling in the brain, uh, but it's also called the fear center because when something sudden happens, a loud noise or something alarming. I don't know. It can be, even be a phone alarm. Your amygdala is like react to that. So you get this rapid sympathetic arousal and salience signaling, pay attention to that thing. And mindfulness detaches you from that automatic response. Like we cannot probably be completely detached from that one but it aids, it sort of smoothens the response. And in long-term meditations, actually amygdala can be shrinkened. Mm. So by default, you are less reactive to different things. Um, and then, for example, loving kindness meditation, that's more linked to social affiliation and feeling sort of unity, compassion, positive emotions. There are quite a lot of um, effects on our emotional health with loving kindness meditation. And that's one of the main practices used in positive psychology in which the whole purpose or point is to practice or enhance those innate and natural positive side of human being. So our natural compassion, our natural gratitude, our natural capacity of love every single living thing and feel, wish good things to other living things. And I'm saying living things because it's not only necessarily for other human beings, but for example, wish uh, that the planet will uh, feel happy and the planet is healthy or animals and you know so that's the effect of loving kindness meditation and it's also linked to occupational health so people we feel more um, better social relationships at work for example um, yeah so um, transcendental meditation and um, some other forms of meditation also can take you into this psychological state of transcendence in which you feel um, it's, it's a difficult, I think, experience to describe because everybody feels a bit different, I think, in that one. But there are these um, transcendental experiences that have been described with, with increased sense of unity heightened well-being, happiness, even ecstatic joy. So for example, an awe experience is one of the things that I think everyone has at some point felt in their lives, which is when you see like a magnificently beautiful sunset or sunrise or another 
very impressing in nature view like mountains or bird view i don't know valley you're like wow and all of a sudden you feel like very small and you feel very united with the world and you feel like instant stress relief so that's one of the psychological uh, mechanisms that certain forms of meditation can also help you to cultivate like spiritual and mental well-being yeah like it just makes you less stressed out and then you're like a better person towards others and it's like a ripple effect that <laughs> uh you 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 don't uh, scream at uh, random people in traffic or you don't uh, yeah start uh, to argue with other people on social media or whatnot so yeah you're more calm and you're more um, able to like be better or be kinder to other people as a and this kind of you know bounces back so if you're you're more uh, kinder and better to others then they're going to be better and kinder to you as well and yeah you it's a like a feedback loop oh definitely and loving kindness meditation is linked to sort of exactly this that you feel more kinder towards other people and you genuinely want to act towards them in a way that they would feel happier like you know so it's always better to leave the other person into a happier state than they were when you know you you met them <laughs> um so it's almost like you want them to stay in that happy and healthy place and it makes you less I think reactive and also less prone to want a conflict mm. and also it helps people to acknowledge that we're all fundamentally like suffering from like we all have difficulties and we all still have the wish to feel healthy and happy and we have we all have loved ones that we hope that are healthy and happy and like this sense of shared humanity and all the common things that we all share, when we are able to cultivate this one, then the stress sort of relieves. And you also, it's easier to understand that other people maybe see your humanity as well. And they realize that you might be in stress and they also want to you to feel happier. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's a it helps you to yeah understand the kind of common uh, or the commonalities between people uh, in terms of like their experiences as well as just the consciousness aspect that uh, people have the similar you know the kind of almost a default consciousness is all, almost almost all, all the same for uh, humans uh, so we have the same kind of um, experience or the perception of the world <laughs> in terms of uh, how our senses work and whatnot and uh, like how our brain uh, operates yeah yeah totally and there are um theories about these levels of consciousnesses <laughs> that we have so we we can have the individual consciousness the my life consciousness but then we have this universal or collective consciousness which is more about shared fundamental aspects of being a human like the affiliation to nature or the how the biology works or um like the stress response that's also a shared commonality between humans 
So this is something that we can all relate to. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but what about uh, yoga? Like how, what do you, like yoga can be like a form of meditation and mindfulness, uh, but like, are there any unique, uni unique things about it in terms of stress and uh, like health? Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm also a yoga and meditation teacher and I really, really recommend yoga as a tool for stress. It's because yoga is a good way to practice the body mind connection so everything about i think managing stress is a lot about listening to your body and cultivating that body mind connection sometimes when people are in chronic stress they stress becomes a default mode so it actually hides the fact that you are in stress and that's very common like people don't know like studies show that people doesn't know that they are in stress which means they stop seeking for help and which means they you know their brain starts adapting to this um, the network the network that controls stress response get disrupted it starts to mold to become uh, in a way um, that helps inducing stress all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's not where we want to go. Yoga and meditation helps cultivate body-mind connection and increasing that interoceptive awareness, awareness of your body signaling. Um, yoga combines breathing, movement, and meditative states. So all the time, you are working on being more being more aware of where your body locates in the space how is your body aligned and then when you breathe when does your breathing start when does the movement start where does the breathing stop where does the movement stop and how does the new asana or yoga posture feel in your joints or in your muscles and if it feels bad, can I still hold it? Can I change it? Will that change my internal feelings? So it's all about cultivating that body-mind connection. And this can help to train the brain areas that become more aware of what's going on in your body. And when you become more aware of what's going on in your body, then when you're starting to get in the state of stress, you may be better able to detect that, wow, okay, I have muscle tension, which would have not been noticed if you didn't take that time to cultivate body awareness. Or you're like, hmm, my heart is beating quite fast. I wonder what's going on. So all the time, this awareness of our body um, or this awareness of our body, I think this helps us to detect these small subtle changes that happens inside our body that are very important signals for managing stress and health. And I think this is what we are doing with health technology these days. Like we are measuring our steps all the time. Uh, we are measuring our sleep, sleep stages, HR, HRV. These, the, these are like also complementary to that one. So we're cultivating the internal awareness, what's going on in my body, 
because only what you measure or what you are aware of you can then then start optimizing and managing yeah yeah it is it is like a a way of becoming more aware of your body is a great way to do it and uh, i would imagine that yeah like if you are engaged in some like physical sports or uh, like bodily practice then you would be slightly more mindful as a person as well because it requires more coordination and more uh, attention to uh, you know execute certain movements and especially like gymnastics or something that that is very requires a lot of skill and requires a lot of uh, coordination and balance and I would imagine it kind of carries over yeah I mean well what what you practice you become good at so if you spend a lot of time with computers you keep you become good at programming or if you spend a lot of time working on your body-mind connection you become good at de detecting different things in your body so it's um it's only a like mental training is like any other form of training if you go to lift weights your muscles become more efficient at lifting weights so it's one form of practice which i think it's hugely important and actually crucial in today's society with so many stressors around us and so much stimulation and so many possibilities to get yourself burnt out yeah yeah um what are some like how do you start <laughs> what is some way great great ways to, or tips to start doing like meditation and as well as yoga or mindfulness so i think the good thing is that nowadays yoga has become so popular that it's offered in almost any city and even any village so you can find uh, studios uh, around from wherever basically um, you can go to classes and see uh, try different types of yoga so there are many different types of yoga as well i teach vinyasa flow yoga but that's only one type of yoga there is hatha yoga um, which is more for uh, joints and it's more slower it's very good for beginners um, then there is ashtanga yoga which is physically more demanding and it's a lot about breathing and static postures flow yoga is flowing type of practice and that's meant to cultivate this breathing body mind connection so that's a very good one if you want to work on that um, then there is bikram yoga hot yoga now even a stand up paddling yoga i haven't tried that but sounds super interesting that's like stand up yoga in stand up paddling boards uh, i don't know how that works um, but yeah so you can find a lot of different types of yoga anywhere if you don't have an access to a studio or like some sort of other situation prevents you from going to those um you can also do yoga at home youtube is full of yoga videos you can find 10 minutes morning yoga 15 minutes morning yoga one hour long yoga practices there so um there are a lot of tools available for yoga practice what I think is the first most important thing is just to start trying different types of yoga and finding what works for you. Um, and then I would um, 
recommend to take yoga as part of your daily practice. It doesn't have to be one hour every day, but at least five minutes in the morning, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, it's actually shown in one, it was a recent uh, review study that I found from yoga. And in that one, they concluded that like the frequency of the practice is quite important, that you do yoga regularly, preferably over four times a week. The type doesn't really matter. The, uh, the teacher doesn't really matter. Um, the length of the practice does not really matter. It's the regular practice, just doing it every single day. Um, so, because sometimes we even have days that we don't even sit down and, and breathe and check like what's going on in my body. Mm-hmm. So even a tiny body scan meditation daily could be very useful for to start building that awareness of, yeah. of body-mind connection. Now that's one meditation-wise, there are also a lot of opportunities. So there are a lot of meditation apps available nowadays, uh, like Headspace and Calm, for example. There are there is a lot of YouTube meditation as well. One of my favorite ones uh, is the Honest Guys meditations, um, and you can find. Like if you put the type of the meditation, for example, loving kindness meditation and the length that you want to practice, you almost certainly will find that length and type of meditation from YouTube. And then there are courses online that you can take on meditation. So there are a lot of opportunities if you want to try like different ways, what works for you the best. But again, I would urge to do this every day, even a little bit of practice every day helps even five minutes meditation and i recommend to to integrate this practice to your routines so if you have a morning routine uh, take five minutes ten minutes of that routine or add five ten minutes to that routine and do the meditation and maybe even do it always at the same sequence. That's the most efficient way to introduce new habits to life. So for example, right after brushing your teeth, you sit in meditation. Uh, And right after you have meditated a bit, you do a little bit of yoga and then you go on on about your day. So um, yeah, these are a couple of practical tips. Yeah, like I think the most important thing is the consistency and uh, practicing the skill set. So yeah, the more often you do it, the gonna, the faster you're gonna learn how to, you know, reach that meditative state and stay more mindful. So even things like you know, uh, making a making some tea or uh, yeah, sitting down to relax a little bit. All those things can be opportunities to uh, meditate and uh, take a, like a breather for a little bit. So it's kind of just. The goal is to, uh, you know, reach this um, state where you are, like aware, almost, you know, as as much as possible. So, so, so you're not like on autopilot, and you're not on uh, uh, controlled by your like an emotions or what something else. So it's a very, it's supposed to become like a habit where you are almost meditating all the time <laughs> without necessarily having to meditate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love the fact that when we feel like. Uh, oh my god, I'm in a rush and I feel very stressed. Meditation is always available 
like unlike for example gym if i feel like i really need to lift those weights right now i cannot necessarily do that everywhere but you can always just close your eyes for a bit and meditate for a moment and that's one tip that i would add for the meditation um, do it with open eyes and closed eyes and in different contexts because if you do it with open eyes and you're able to calm your body down even when you're seeing all the stimuli around you that translates quite nicely to different situations at work there might be a lot of going on a lot of hassle around you but you have trained to be more um, adaptable to those signals around you and you're better able to calm down despite the signals but then what you do with the when you close your eyes like most of the sensory input to our brain comes from through our eyes and that stimulates the brain quite a lot so closing the eyes is really efficient to calm down the nervous system so this sort of sensory deprivation maybe putting on earplugs and then closing the eyes that takes nervous system to a really nice restful state just by blocking the stimulation yeah that's a good good tip uh yeah, and that, that's how like sensory deprivation tanks also work, that you're uh, removing as much sensory experience as possible. So you're, it's easier for you to just uh, scan your body and not be distracted by like outside stimuli. Yeah, yeah, I really love sensory deprivation. Everything is just like um, very simple, just putting on a head, head, head mask and like earplugs and then just yeah. lying down. Even five minutes, it's so efficient. Yeah, for sure. And effective. Mm. Are there like any other things that you use to you know practice or manage stress or uh, manage pain? Mm, well, there are there are several. I think one of the most important ones is sleep. Sleep is linked to amygdala, again the fear center, the the thing that's very important for our fight or flight response. Um, after sleep deprivation, amygdala can be even 40% to 60% more reactive than when you have had that nice amount, eight hours of sleep. Actually, that's even more linked to REM sleep stage. Um, and deep sleep is also fundamentally important just to detoxify the brain because if you have a lot of um, toxins in the brain, um, that alarms keeps the nervous system active, keeps um, the brain cells, or they they are under a lot of uh, energy demand if you keep accumulating toxins in your brain. So sleep is so good for emotional health, so good for brain health, preventing the risk of dementia, everything, and preventing pain. Pain and insomnia and sleep disorders are very strongly linked. Um, sleep is also fundamental for, for the, um, like the good balance of neurotransmitters in the brain. Mm. So definitely recommend that one. Um, I think diet is also good. Like, in a general, in a broad, the broad idea would be reducing toxins in life, whether it's from the diet, whether it's from pollution, whether it's from, um, I don't know, thoughts, <laughs> negative thoughts. Yes, the toxic people. Just, 
yeah toxic people whatever wherever toxins come from just trying to reduce those because toxins are things that keep your nervous system alert and they require a lot of energy so let's say if you have toxins from food that causes oxidative stress to the cells it causes high demands to the mitochondria it can cause permeability in the cell walls in the blood-brain barrier and that makes your whole nervous system to be more susceptible to stress and um, yeah to, mm-hmm. to toxic exposure and to even cell death which is yeah. doesn't sound that like tempting so yeah yeah, reducing toxins nature time is a very good way so just getting a nature exposure um using for example walking routes day by day that doesn't go through the city center but go to goes to a nice park or choosing choosing to buy foods that are locally cultivated so they and seasonal so they are not bumped with pesticides and whatever they they put in the food to preserve them for a long time and um that's a good one mm, just being mindful about everyday habits and optimizing the light we briefly discussed about that one um but making sure that you're not stimulating your nervous system too much in the evening. And light is one of the biggest things stimulating the brain. It affects right to the areas in the brain that regulate the sleep-wake cycle. So if you get a lot of bright light exposure in the evening, your brain is just going to stay too active in the night. You're not reaching those deep sleep stage. Um, and yeah, that's yeah. going to be detrimental to, to your stress. Yeah, I agree. Like sleep is one of the most important things uh, for that, like emotional bandwidth, so to say, as well. So yeah, you're you're gonna make better decisions if you have good sleep, and uh, you're gonna be less reactive, and uh, you're gonna be less stressed out, also. So yeah, it's very crucial to focus a lot on uh, sleep and uh, get it optimized. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Sleep is like there is a nice quote from Dalai Lama that I love which is sleep is the best meditation mm. so yeah. even before meditation focus on the sleep yeah yeah that's true uh, well it's been a great talking with you and we'll start uh, wrapping up as well um, are you working on anything particular for the future at the moment well at the moment we are working on a book at the biohacker center called resilient being so that's about how to um, yeah, cultivate resilience of body and mind, learn to manage stress. Um, we have Biohacker Summit coming next, next autumn, actually one coming very soon. And in 2021, there will be one in Amsterdam. Um, uh, yeah, those things are at the moment, I think, the most important ones that I'm working at the moment yeah looking forward to it <laughs> and uh, before I ask my last question uh, where can people learn more about you and your work mm. so um, I update my website so that's incaimonen.com um, I also share tips for stretch, stress management and brain health and yoga and meditation and biohacking in my Instagram which is just um, at Inka Immonen. 
And then, of course, I, I recommend to look into also the Biohacker Center material, so Biohacker Summit. And there is an upcoming course, which is Biohacking Women, which I would be instructing, uh, instructing with uh, Sandra Porton, medical doctor. So in this course, we, we provide tips and tools for women who want to biohack their, their health for the breath, better learn to manage hormones and stress and brain health and yeah <laughs> everything sounds good and my last question is uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner mm, meditation <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good good thing <laughs> would have uh, reduced a lot of uh, like say like I, I think if uh, people learn to meditate sooner then uh, they would also just uh, avoid a lot of like mistakes or like avoid a lot of these regrets because they'll just make better decisions and they'll have better uh, brain power. <laughs> yeah, and even if we didn't make better decisions, we would be better able to accept our poor decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's also one so benefit of that. <laughs> win -win, yeah. yeah. Well, it was uh, good talking with you and yeah, looking, Likewise. Forward, looking forward to the future uh, projects that you're working on. Thank you. Always a pleasure chatting with you.